Welcome friends to Infertility and Me podcast, a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind. I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight two. Healing is best when done together. Hey friend, could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. Thank you, friends, and welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, back with another episode for our Anonymous Infertility Warriors series. Thank you, friends. If this is your first time for being here, thank you for clicking that button and tapping that button and listening to today's episode. I do not take it for granted that you are here with me and our guests to support, to feel validated, to be seen, to be heard, and to not suffer in silence because it freaking sucks. And you guys know I'm a work from home mama, so you might hear Omar Jr. in the back from time to time as he runs in and out of the office while I'm recording. Just like to give you fair warning. If it's distracting, I apologize in advance. Today's episode is with a fellow fertility friend who really didn't have support from her medical professionals after reoccurring miscarriage and loss. And so she has some things and some thoughts that she'd like to get off of her chest today about that. But before we get on the line with our guest, I wanted to tell you guys about a new product that Natalis has, the prenatal for her. You guys, they've upgraded their prenatal vitamins and they've also added a prenatal vitamin for her. I've been taking it for a while now, probably for about, let's see, almost two months. And I love it. And I was already actually taking their duo prenatal before this one released, right before the holidays. And I really like the old one as well, the duo. And that was their uh, first prenatal and C. And so I love all of the things that Nicholas is doing. They're plastic neutral, you guys. And they also are mom-owned, led, and run. They have a very diverse team. I just love everything about Natalis. They have some belly oils for when you get pregnant. The belly oil is incredible. I've used it myself because I get a lot of itching and irritation still at my scar line from my C-section with Omar Jr. Since I've been using that oil, my irritation and itching has significantly decreased and it smells divine, you guys, divine. Tap the link in today's show notes that you can go to Natalis's website and get all of your needs for pre and post conception. We'll be back on the line in just a moment with our guest. Infertility is something, I tell you. (laughs) You already know it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I appreciate you coming on. And I think it's really important um, topic about speaking about reoccurring miscarriages and then not finding that support 
compassion and empathy from your um, your doctor. Right. So, Doctors. well, yeah, oh, let's get into it then, honey. Um, so, so how did you and your husband or your significant other meet? Uh, we actually met on Instagram, speaking of social media. Ah. Um, I uh, followed him. He just popped up on my Explore page one day and um, I'm tall, he's tall. And so I followed him just because I thought he was cute. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> turns out he uh, owns a moving company and uh, I lived in a different state at the time, but I was moving to the state that he lived in. So mm-hmm. I called to see if, you know, what his prices were for his moving company. <laughs> and turns out he had been, he had liked me from my pictures long before and he said it was a sign to him. So um, he got my phone number by uh, default because I called for business purposes. And even though he didn't take my move, he just continued to use my phone number like moving forward. So um, he didn't do my move when I asked my long distance move, but we ended up getting engaged uh, three months later and, and married. And so he ended up moving me free a few months later. Oh, win, 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 win. <laughs> I love it. So you guys met, you dated. And um, so after you guys got married, were was having children something at the forefront of you guys' mind? Or did you have things career-wise that you each wanted to do individually before moving into parenthood? I think a little bit of both. And maybe I should go back to, uh, I already had a son um, with a previous relationship and he had two daughters um, in a previous relationship. And so definitely when we were dating, we talked about having children. Um, That was one of the big things because we did already have our own children. We wanted to make sure that, you know, everybody got along, that we treated Mm -hmm. each other well, but that was kind of our goal. Um, we ended up, uh, I ended up moving in with him. Like things went really fast with us. And so we planned to get married about five months <laughs> after we actually did. Um, but the goal was after we did the wedding ceremony that then we would start with uh, trying to have children. I just didn't want to be pregnant before we had the actual wedding. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. Wow, 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 wow. So you guys had to navigate like blended family. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot yeah, of yeah. moving parts. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. I've watched my sister go through that, so I know how difficult at times it could be, especially if the children are older, you know. So, yeah, I commend you guys for making it work and, and, um, and navigating that effectively. So the time comes, you're actively trying and so just walk us through, walk us through that. Um, and I wouldn't say we were actively trying, but okay. I took the steps. Um, I was on birth control, so I took purposely took the steps um, to make sure that I had access to get pregnant. Um, <laughs> and I guess that was the only trying part. Everything else we kind of just left up to chance. Um, and then I'd say it was a year, almost a year after our wedding um, ceremony, um, I had my first miscarriage. And how far along were you? That one was really early. Um, I found out it was about four weeks. So um, before I even knew I was pregnant, I was having the miscarriage. And so um, it was, it kind of took me 
back a little bit because I wasn't quite sure. And like I said, we weren't actively necessarily tr necessarily trying. We just weren't doing anything to prevent um, pregnancy. And so um, it was surprising. It was something that I'd never gone through before. And I, at the time, I didn't personally know anybody who had gone through anything similar. Um, and because it was so early, I would say that it, it hurt my feelings, but it wasn't as impactful as it would be later on. Okay. You think that was partly due to the fact that you guys were trying, not trying, you know, right. like most couples. Okay. Okay. And so after that miscarriage and you guys had time to process and everything like that, did you then, then begin trying actively to conceive or was it some time in between? No, we still had the same, even, even up until now, it was just, we'll make sure we're not doing any birth control and um, we'll, we'll just see what happens. But unfortunately, what happened with us started uh, the recurrent miscarriages. And so I had my first miscarriage in April. Um, I found out I was pregnant again in June. And then I had my second miscarriage in August and I was 11 weeks at that point. And so that was, I would say the most impactful miscarriage that I had because I actually saw the ultrasound mm -hmm. with that child. Um, and that's the furthest along I've ever gotten as far as pregnancy with my husband. And so, um, that one was devastating because it also ended. I had to get a, a DNC, so I had to have a whole surgery and um, that the whole thought of what was going on or what I was doing was devastating within itself. Um, and then with that miscarriage, I actually had it. We were away for a wedding. So I was in a whole other state and a whole other city. People that I didn't know. Wow. And, None of my immediate family around um, when I found out that I lost that child. Everything surrounding that miscarriage was just different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. After you had your surgery and you had, because um, you said you had to get a DNC, right? Yes. Yeah, so after your, your DNC, did you, because I know you're a medical professional and I don't know, are you a med, are you a doctor in the medical field or a by um, PhD, um, like PhD professor type? PhD. Professor. PhD. Okay. Okay. But um, you're a smart woman. So you're, you're very aware of your body. And so did you start feeling like maybe there could be a deeper issue? Yes. With, with anything, I was like, you know, what did I do? What were some things that I should have done or didn't do? And immediately I started thinking, okay, there has to be something going on with me. And after that miscarriage, my doctor, my gynecologist ran some, some basic tests and my test came back normal. And uh, th there was no medical cause, at least from what I was told, that led to the miscarriage. I was just told that, you know, this is normal and you'll be fine. And this happens to a lot of people. And so while I was emotionally being affected by losing my child, I was constantly reassured that, you know, this is something that's normal. Everything will be fine. You already have a child. And so um, he has children. There shouldn't be any issues. And 
so I kind of proceeded with that, especially after the test came back and they couldn't find anything. And then I got pregnant again in uh, December and uh, had another miscarriage. And so at that point, I, it, it was weird because I couldn't believe what the doctor, what the doctors were telling me that, that it was this normal because at this miscarriage number three. Right, right. And at this point, I think it was really early. I even when I took the pregnancy test, it was just a guess and it came back positive at three weeks. <laughs> so it was for me, it was confusing because it's kind of like, oh, why am I getting pregnant if I can't stay pregnant and what's going on or what is it that I'm doing or that I'm not doing? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can't really believe what the doctors are telling me because that something has to be wrong. There, there has to be an explanation for this. And after that miscarriage, I got pregnant again in the following um, May and had another miscarriage in April and had to have yet another DNC with, with mm. that miscarriage. I think that that's when everything kind of hit the fan when I was like, I, I really don't understand what's going on with me, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing. I, I don't care what the medical tests say. There has to be something going on that's causing me to get pregnant but not stay pregnant. You know, I really, like you were saying a minute ago, I really hate that a lot of the explanations for these types of traumatic situations is always brushed off as being oh, this is normal or this is common. Like, just because it's common doesn't make it normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I feel very conflicted when doctors say that. And I think that's just a way for them to, I don't know. I don't even know what it is. But I I just, I, I don't like the term, this is normal or this is common because it's not. Far and, from it. and and I've also been told that you know it's just a bad string of luck and there's this there's no emotion and I think for me at least in the beginning it's it's not the news that you want to hear so it's it's devastating and you don't know what you're supposed to say or how you're supposed to react especially if you're going through it and you don't firsthand know of anybody who's experienced it so it's confusion and then it's a lack of consideration I guess mm-hmm. or any emotions yeah, yeah. Any emotions attached to the loss especially um when I had the second miscarriage and I was in a whole different state different city in the emergency room they kind of just handed me a piece of paper about it and then walked off in the room Mm, yeah, I think the ah, oh, it's just so much work to be done in in medical care, and as it pertains to BIPOC people like us, um, it and and you know you don't want to believe that it's because of skin color, you know, um, you don't want to believe that it has anything to do with it. But American history proves that the medical system hasn't always been good to BIPOC people, um, and especially Black women with the way that um, gynecological care came about and the abuse and and trauma and torturing that took place, 
you know, many years ago at the beginning of gyne- uh, gynecological care and doctors performing all sorts of medical procedures on black and, and brown women without anesthesia and things like that. So did you ever, not, so none of your doctors ever suggested you get like an end, uh, endometrium receptivity test, like an ERA or anything like that? No. And going back to the BIPOC issue or, or concern, my doctors in the beginning were African-American. So mm-hmm. there was a assumption of comfort or care that I think I had mm-hmm. or that I expected from them mm-hmm. that I didn't get. Okay. But no, I, I got blood tests just to see like thyroid tests and, and things of that nature. And even till today, all of my tests have come back normal medically and, and there there's medically ha- there hasn't been anything that they can come up with that can explain what's been going on or why it's going on mm-hmm. and I, I too have experienced some lack of compassion even from you know people that look like us in the medical field carrying forth and um and you're, you're totally right so have you changed doctors at all? Have you found any a specialist or an RBGYN that you are comfortable with now and is meeting all of your needs? Actually, after the fourth miscarriage um, with the same practice, and I actually, at first I switched doctors within the practice. And after the fourth miscarriage, um, I started having some abnormal bleeding. And with, with miscarriages with me, like even now, it's kind of that post-traumatic, a response of every time I see blood, whether it's like a, a period or something, I always, especially after the miscarriages, I would freak out because I didn't know what was going on, especially if it was abnormal bleeding. And um, the final straw for me after the last miscarriage, the fourth miscarriage, was I called because I was having abnormal bleeding and I was freaking out and I said, you know, there has to be something wrong. Just can we check and make sure that um, this is normal and there's not anything going on. And I got scheduled for an appointment a month and a half out from when I see somebody. So um, I'm already, obviously they've seen my history. I've had four miscarriages roughly back to back in the same year. I'm calling because I'm I'm bleeding abnormally. I don't know what's going on. And when they gave me an appointment a year, a, a month and a half out, um, for me, that kind of just was the final straw. So I did, um, I looked up a fertility specialist in my area and I made an appointment with them and I changed to a different OBGYN. And so, um, Mm-hmm. I have an older OBGYN who actually listens to what's going on when I talk to her about what's going on. And so I'm really happy with this practice. Um, and then I have, I also have an older um, doctor in the fertility center that I'm working with, which I feel like maybe they have a lot more experience. And so comfortable um, with the experiences that they've had. And so, so far, um, with the change, I felt uh, a lot more supported in my needs and what I've been, the processes that I've been going through and what I've been feeling. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think it's so important, especially if you're going to be moving into IVF. So you guys are now considering IVF now that you found a clinic that you're most comfortable with? Yes, actually, we started with IUI um, this year and COVID 
messed us up because we were down to the day they were supposed to call me to schedule our first IUI and they were shutting down all the clinics. So they didn't call me to schedule my appointment. They called me to cancel the IUI. But we actually went through two uh, unsuccessful IUIs this year. And um, at first, my husband and I decided that maybe we should give it a rest and um, just kind of wait and see, give my body a rest from, from the fertility drugs. And I initially just called my doctor just to ask, you know, can you just educate me a little bit more on IVF? But um, they were really supportive and talking about a plan of action and how we could implement the plan and how we could get started. Um, and just, I think, maybe their confidence in the process kind of helped me to decide <laughs> okay and so it went from an informational meeting to uh okay let's go ahead and and get started and and start this process and we're in the early stages of the process and so um i just start taking my estrogen patches and start all that stuff next week actually but we're in the very early stages we've only done like blood work so how do you feel about it? How, are you feeling all over the place? Are you feeling at peace with it? I have so many feelings about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on one end, and kind of explained to me by the doctor, because I've had so many recurrent miscarriages, I feel like this will be a better way to potentially prevent that from happening again. If there are some abnormalities that are happening, they'll be able to check those out. Um, beforehand. And so on that end, I feel a little bit more secure. Um, I, I think it's a little bit of nervousness because you don't know what you don't know. And even mm -hmm. though I've been mm -hmm. reaching out and looking at different um, social media accounts of people who are going through IVF, sometimes I have no idea <laughs> what they're talking about or what these acronyms are or what mm -hmm. process is going <laughs> and is being involved in it. From a financial standpoint, my husband and I aren't sure, you know, what's covered by insurance, what's not covered by insurance, what we have to come up with. Um, but the, the end goal is still the same. And actually, the other day, I was kind of weirded out. And my husband's like, you know, we just have to go a different route. Like, he's been calm <laughs> throughout this process, just saying, okay, we just have to go through a different route. And, you know, mm -hmm. you just tell me where to be and <laughs> when to be there <laughs> and what I need to do. Um, and so I don't know, there are a lot of feelings. There's excitement because eventually I want to have children with my husband, but a little bit of nervousness and apprehension because I have no idea what I'm doing or what I'm going through or what's about to happen. Yeah, you know, it's that, that uncertainty of what's ahead and how much you'll be able to stand, you know, and yeah, I totally get it. But at least your husband is being that balance that you need to keep you um, to keep you at peace and help you become more peaceful about whatever happens um, as you guys move forward. And I'm so glad that you've connected yourself to, the, to Instagram and online communities, because I feel like society doesn't isn't always so favorable of women coming together and they're always trying to put us against each other. And so. Yeah, I think it's important that we find community somewhere online, especially now since everything is on Zoom and there's meetings and stuff and weekly support groups. So 
That's amazing. But you are researching the disparities of women in color. And um, so tell us a little bit about your research. Yes. Um, And obviously it came from personal experience. Um, What I felt and what I've learned by talking to other women is there's a sense of insecurity of, you know, so there's something wrong with my body. I can't make a child. I can't keep a child. And it makes you want to crawl into a hole and, and not share that part of you because it feels like it's, the broken part of you. And so uh, my goal in speaking out initially was for myself because I wanted to get over the insecurity that uh, secondary infertility was having on me. But um, I wanted to see if other people were feeling like me. Um, I wanted to see how other people were coping and what they were doing and what they needed. when I was going through all of the miscarriages, at no point did any of my doctors recommend counseling of any sort. Um, mm. They they talked about different hospitals where I could go to to get surgeries done, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but and where I could go to get testing done. But at no point did anybody ever suggest a counselor to me. And after my second miscarriage, that one, like, as I mentioned, that was the one that I actually got to see the ultrasound for. And uh, that miscarriage took me down to, to the lowest point. And that's not the type of person that I normally am, but it's to the point to where I didn't want to get out of bed. If my son didn't have school, I probably would have stayed in the bed for way longer than I did. And so I decided to reach out to a counselor after the second miscarriage, which happened to be the best thing that I could do because then I went through two more miscarriages while I was seeing my counselor, but she was there to kind of help me process feelings behind it and the anger Mm -hmm. that I was showing both towards myself and towards my husband and my children as well. But I wanted to find out how other African-American women were coping with it. When I did my social media search to kind of see, is there anybody else talking about this? I couldn't find any women of color at the time that were documenting their process. And even when I would post, when I started doing research and I posted that I was looking for people, I would have... I found out I had friends, actually, who had had miscarriages that didn't say anything, and they wouldn't comment publicly. They would send me a message and say, yes, I just went through that last year, or yes, I'm going through that. But they didn't want to be involved in my study. And so the goal of my study was to find out what feelings people were experiencing that had secondary infertility in what methods they were using for coping and then also what they needed from counselors and how counselors could reach them when they were going either when they were going through mm-hmm. miscarriages or medical diagnoses or even after and i've talked to five women so far um, about their stories one whose miscarriage was 20 years ago and wow. she was still having like she was still crying in my interview with her, and then I'm thinking, okay, if I'm still mourning the loss in my miscarriages, and it's only been, you know, two years out, one year out, I can only imagine 20 years 
out if I if I'm still having the same emotional response. And so my goal with research is just to connect with women of color to find out about their experiences to figure mm-hmm. out how counselors can best support them or how we can get to the people we need to get to to help them during that time. Wow, that's incredible. That's going to be really impactful. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I commend you for that because I think that when you're dealing with grief, there is, and as you already know anyway, being being um, the researcher, that there's a specific type of counselor you need that can help you along your trauma and, and navigating um, the different stages of trauma. Yeah, wow, that's going to be really incredible. And what would you, what advice would you have to someone who's experienced reoccurring miscarriage and how she can advocate for herself in these medical offices? And I thought about this because I wanted to say something like really strong, like, you know, like you haven't seen the best of me, but <laughs> every month it gets the best of me, especially with every period. Like it, it, I feel like it knocks me back down every month. So, um, I would say the infertility that, you know, you caught me by surprise the first time, but I'm ready for you. And I'm making sure that I'm stronger each time. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It brings a sense of empowerment because a lot of infertility, all of it really is out of our control to some extent. And you're so right. We definitely have to find a way to to take back some of our power. I agree totally. Oh, man, you guys heard it here first. Infertility. You ain't, ain't going to get us, okay? 2021 is ours. <laughs> Whether we have the bundle or not, you ain't going to take us out. We survived 2020, okay? So We did. Woo! And I came out more educated at the end than I went in at the beginning. Yes, absolutely. I so agree. Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. Peace and blessings. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend, take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback.